most of my plants have died in this 109 degree Fahrenheit weather. <sighs> so no more tomatoes or basil or oh, green no. onions for me. I'm sorry. That really sucks. I mean, I'm sorry for all of us because we have to live in this weather. (sighs) So I feel like it's worth noting here a little bit of the history of our relationship for the listeners. I think we should introduce ourselves. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's probably a good idea. Okay, I'll start. Hi, I'm Dawn. Hi. And I am a designer at ThoughtBot. I've been on Tentative a couple of times, as have you, Sam. But what's really awesome about the conversation happening today is that Sam was my instructor at the Iron Yard, which is like a code school that I went to. And now we work together at ThoughtBot, and it's really fun. It is. It's so much fun. Okay, I'll let you go now. Oh, hi, I'm Sam. I'm also a designer and I work with Dawn. Quick and easy intro. Yeah. We did it. We have a couple of things that we want to talk about in particular, but I'd love to hear about how you're doing and what you're working on. Because I don't know that because we never talk during the week. (laughs) We never talk during the week, except when we're passing hummus to each other from one desk to another. An array of snacks. When it's snack time and lunch time and coffee time and end of the day time. But other than that, we don't really talk. (laughs) Right now, I am continuing to work on the project that I talked about the last time I was on Tentative. So at that point, we were doing user interviews, and we are now getting into rebranding and kind of reworking the app that those user interviews from, I think, episode 54. Yeah, we're, we're getting into the real stuff, like changing things up and code reviews, streamlining some code, lots of SVG fun animations that are very accessible and on brand and doing a lot of documentation and style guide stuff. So we have a living, breathing style guide that has all its utility classes and components broken down. That's all very exciting. Yeah, that actually sounds really exciting. I look over at your screen sometimes and see all this like all these awesome colors that like brand purple that they have and all these gradients. And I'm just, I'm jealous. I'll be honest. (laughs) I haven't worked on a project that's a little more visually focused in a while. And especially since I've been back, mine have been a little more like that classic app development, lots of forms. (laughs) Yes. uh, I know uh, you really love filters. Oh, yes. (laughs) I mean, basically, that's going to be in my title soon. The filter designer. I mean, I know we try to be generalists here, but I really feel like that's my specialty at this point. I really love designing filters. And by love, I mean, it is my job. (laughs) But you're also really good at it. And I think you're really thoughtful about the the user experience, especially because you've had some very interesting projects as of late. I've always wanted to say as of late. Um, (laughs) where you've had to work through a very like robust search process. Mm. So having filters that do every sort of combination that could come to a user's mind while also keeping it 
accessible for someone who only clicks one thing to the person who's going to need to click a thousand things or sort through a thousand things or filter through a thousand things. I think it's fascinating. Tell me more. (laughs) That's a really good way to think of it. I mean, so it's two different projects that I've worked on since I got back from maternity leave. And like you said, both are really robust applications in terms of like how much data is being presented. And in each of them, I've had to design a filter system. And what I designed for the first one, actually, I overcomplicated the first one. And that's really easy to do, I think, as a designer. When the person who owns the project or the app, I guess you can say, it's for a school system. And so they're bringing in a lot of data around like students and teachers and and different levels of support and staff in schools. They needed these quick ways to compare data, either, you know, by demographic or by school grade or things like that. And so I kind of jumped into it, spent a lot of time coming up with a plan and then iterating on that and talking a lot with the developers on the project and with the owners of the project. And ultimately, after I had kind of come off of the project, the person who owns it thought, let's just have this just like quick selection sort of tool that allows them to say, I would like to quickly compare by school grades. And then that generates charts based on that. And I looked at it and I thought, wow, that was a really genius idea. You should be a designer. But yeah, the, the one that I'm working on now is really complex. And exactly like you said, I have to allow for a super simple filter option, but also have that be able to sort of encompass like maybe thousands of data points. So it's hard to think about in that scope. But when you think about filters, like a lot of us, I feel like go as designers, maybe you can correct me if I'm wrong, go to the stuff that we see on a normal basis, like for searching for houses, for instance, you kind of see very similar like UI patterns. You've got a really sort of familiar set of filters that you, even if it's a brand new application, know how to control. And I would have liked to be able to reuse a lot of those patterns. It would have made sort of the more visual part of the, of my whole process quicker, but I would like to have been able to use common patterns, but I wasn't able to do that, like with the scope of what was needed in this project. So yeah, basically like starting from scratch with everything. I've been a filter designer. (laughs) (laughs) I think it's a good thing to have kind of both perspectives because if you're starting from scratch, you're really catering it to the needs of the project, but you're also keeping in mind the good practices that have kind of come to be in general, not just with filters, but I think with like general usage. So it's kind of a good, I think it's a good best of both worlds. Mm -hmm. It's been a brain teaser for sure, but I like that. (laughs) I have no filters on my project. I don't think there is a single filter right now. You stole them all. Um, (laughs) Anytime anyone ever needs filters, just let me know. I don't want to talk about filters too much because we have some really important things to talk about. Like? Uh, Like World Emoji Day. (gasps) Happy belated World Emoji Day. Yes. (laughs) Happy belated World Emoji Day. So you brought this up and I love it. 
I am a big emoji user. That's true. I've seen you <laughs> use them before. <laughs> I mean, aren't, aren't we all? They can be so expressive in just the right way without having to worry about like sentence structure and punctuation. You know? Yeah. Wait, who needs that stuff? We don't. But I feel like you brought up something that happened. I guess a lot happened that day. Okay, so first of all, I didn't know what World Emoji Day was. I mean, until I heard it, and then I was like, okay, I get it. Because we have a day for everything now. Like, there is a eat chocolate outside day. There is, like, six or seven margarita days a year. I feel like people keep wishing, like, every 40 days. And I'm like, wasn't it just, like, 40 days ago? And they're like, no, it's today. And then there's another one 40 Mm -hmm. days later. Mm -hmm. I'm like... I feel like it's National Donut Day, like, once a month. Yeah. I feel like those two are, like, on repeat. Mm -hmm. And then there's, like, Dog Day, Cat Day, Puppy Day, Kitten Day. Grandparents Day, Mother's Day. (sighs) We have have lots of days. And so I thought it was interesting that it was there on July 17th. And one of our other coworkers pointed out from the World Emoji Day website that it was because of Apple's icon is set to July 17th. Oh, I never noticed that. So that that's how they picked the day. Mm-hmm. But then it was like, oh, that's very Apple specific. Like it's different for Android for mm-hmm. you know whoever else. So that was interesting. But there is a whole website, worldemojiday.com, where there's kind of the background, things to do to celebrate throughout the day. I think it had like links to like cupcake recipes and like stuff like that. That was really interesting. I just saw this tweet that you put in our notes for the W3C proposal (laughs) for for input type emoji. I think that's brilliant. It kind of surfaced that same morning of World Emoji Day. And it's actually a tweet from February 2017 from one of the founders of uh, the co-creator of Glitch. And we'll put this in the show notes so that people can get to it. (laughs) Yeah, I thought that's an interesting idea. And I wouldn't be surprised if that is something that got adopted soon. Like, I remember how people, when Swift first came out as a language, and they said, like, you can write emojis in Swift. And people were just like, mind blown. blown. Mm -hmm. And I don't know how we haven't thought about input type emoji. But it just seems like if you have a day, then you should be allowed to have an input type. (laughs) Is that a fair (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> if you have a day like yeah if you have like a world blank day. oh gotcha gotcha yeah yeah i thought you were saying that day was an input type and i was th- i was trying to process that in my mind i was like okay i mean date i've i've used date before date time i've used day not so much yeah sorry i meant like a an international yep. day yep. or mm-hmm. world day like input type donut tell me more about that i'm kind of curious I have no idea about this in any way. And so please, if you, if you have any information, school me, but what are some known accessibility issues or reasons around emojis or using emojis in code or text? You know, that's a really good question. I know it's not the same as icon fonts Mm -hmm. because icon fonts are definitely not accessible in terms of they they may not load. I think they aren't tied to the same universal character. I'm the wrong person to ask about this. I'm going to do my best. But my guess is that it is more accessible to use 
emojis because I guess they're not really a font. They are a shape that is being added to a universal character that it's mapped to. And I kind of want to just Google this right now before I <laughs> If anybody has any information on this, please feel free to send it to us. I'm kind of curious about like how emojis work with screen readers too. I think they can work in a certain way because I think it's more universally accepted, mm-hmm. like standards, like ISO standards style, uh, International Standards Organization, I think is what that stands for. Like if the way that you would write Curacao, the like country code for that is CW. That's the same for like .CW for websites, CW on an Android phone or an iPhone, like whatever phone that will pull up the Curacao flag because it's internationally understood that CW is the country code for Curacao. Gotcha. Icon fonts don't work that way because you can map any icon to any character. So I don't think there's a particular order to it. Like there isn't a standard, like if you have a save icon, it's mapped to the letter S in this icon font. Hmm. Interesting. Like it's not, I don't think mm-hmm. it's set up that way when it comes to emojis because they just function a little bit differently. I think they're just more universally agreed upon, kind of like the W3, but it's like the WE emoji. <laughs> <laughs> I have uh, to. You always have to. Sam is excellent <laughs> at puns. I love. I guess I love, love is a strong word for how I feel about this. (laughs) I enjoy, that's a better word. I enjoy the different versions of the same emoji on different platforms. And isn't there a way to compare those? I think there's probably, there must be some sort of website where you can like, what does Facebook do for the pukey emoji versus, you know, Apple? Yeah. I forgot what website that was. I feel like someone from our team shared that in our kind of company-wide water cooler Slack channel. We'll add it to the show notes. But there was a really funny one last week where an entomologist, so people who study bugs, rated all the ant emojis across all platforms. It was was so funny because you'd think it's really scientific (laughs) And it is like she's breaking it down by like this is actually anatomically correct or the the proportions of this ant suggest that they were modeling it after this sort of ant instead of this sort of ant. Like so there's some good stuff like that. But she did sort of a dog rates like blank out of 10, which is great. Yes. Okay. Didn't know I needed ant rates, <laughs> uh, but I do. And the funniest part I'm going to read one, like the one for Microsoft that she wrote was floppy antenna, pointy Muppet face, which I'm sure is scientifically recognized in the entomology community, oddly posed legs. What is she? Has she no waist? (laughs) Maybe she is some kind of bee in disguise. I find her unsettling. Three out of ten. Like, oh. There's another three out of ten that starts with this ant makes me sad. (laughs) (sighs) dot 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 all of her legs are broken oh no i do appreciate the inclusive language that all of them are she and i don't think it's trying to like be subjective about the looks of each of these ants so i just want to make sure although that is interesting considering well i don't know this but i would assume she would try to be correct in her genders here but 
I assumed the worker ants were male because isn't there usually like a queen ant, kind of like a queen bee? Like there's usually like one big one and they're the female. I think that's for bees. Okay. But that's okay. a good question. I really thought she was trying to be inclusive because there's so much stuff for ears that's all like he, he, he. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. This is something that I have thought a lot about because I recently had a baby. And Mm -hmm. when you do that, you (laughs) read a lot of parenting forums and websites and stuff. And I always notice that if they were talking about They would never use he slash she. They would always say he. And I think that that is a common, if there is not a gender specified, I think default is always he in the English language or like when you're writing. So for APA, for the American Psychological Association, and and I think like Chicago and like MLA, all of that has been changed that if if it hasn't been identified, you go with they, which I think is more inclusive. Mm Mm-hmm. I think there's a lot of people now purposefully trying to write she as the general term to like kind of re-switch it up. To balance it out. Yeah, to balance it out. While you were saying that, I looked up a pest control company's website. (laughs) And according to this website, which is from Orkin, and they have a page about queen ants, the majority of queen ants' eggs grow up to be wingless, sterile female ants or workers. Oh. And then occasionally, winged male and female ants are produced to mate. After mating, the males die. Mm. So I think most of the worker ants that we have come across in our lifetime are she's. Are she's. Hmm. But kind of bringing it back to the different emojis, there's about, what, 10 different emojis? Apple, Google, Microsoft, Samsung, WhatsApp, Twitter, Facebook, Emoji One, Emojidex, if I'm pronouncing that correctly, Messenger, LG, HTC, and then Mozilla. And the Mozilla one cracked me up so much. It's the last one (laughs) on Tumblr. And she writes, this is a termite, 10 out of 10. It got an excellent ant rating, but mostly for being not an ant. Yeah, it got most accurate 10 out of 10 Right for a different species. (laughs) Lovely. She did give, I just noticed, she gave Apple an 11 out of 10. So maybe she has a bias, but it is a pretty good (laughs) ant. My favorite thing about the Apple one is gorgeous pearlescent sheen, like she is glowing. This ant moisturizes. This ant is round and huggable. This ant is a star. <laughs> that's so that's so beautiful. Yes. I'm gonna tell more bugs that they're a star, especially bees. They've had a really hard time lately, mm-hmm, and they just mm-hmm. to be told good things. Yeah, they get such a bad rap. Bees. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, they're scary. I will say, I don't know. I haven't actually dealt with many actual bees um, in my life. I've encountered many wasps or hornets. Ants. Ants, definitely. But, you know, those are ants. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, bees. I mean, I get why they're good. The honey, the pollination, I'm sure a hundred other things that I have no idea about that are good. But we only ever hear about the bad which is the stinging, and lest we forget my girl. Oh my gosh. I have not forgotten, but I choose not to recall. Yes, I hear you. 
I'll just say one last thing about this wonderful entomologist blog post about these emoji ratings. The title of her blog is I've lost control of my life. Flower emoji, flower emoji. <laughs> so I feel like I can really relate to her on a personal level. Yeah. Oh man. I also like that the description is just an ordinary Ouija board operated by a colony of ants. I love that. Like the visual of that is so good. We should really now work to find a way to get this woman to come and work with us at ThoughtBot if if there was a need for an entomologist. I don't know. Like if we can work that in when we're selling projects. Like I know you're trying to build a mobile app. We have this person here that is an expert on ants and we'd like you to work with her. I am allergic to certain types of ants, so I have this sort of like, I can't be around them, so I'm kind of fascinated by them, Mm -hmm. because they're really tiny, I can squash them in a second, but they can do so much harm to me. Yes, yes. I think that you just described a lot of things. Like sharks. Yeah. Well, no, very small. I'm thinking more like bacteria. Oh, yeah, yeah. Viruses, very small. They can do a lot of harm. Oh, wait, but what was the other part? You wanted to hang out with them? Okay, so maybe maybe not anything infectious. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so we are designers. I just want to clarify. <laughs> <laughs> we were talking about emojis and, yeah. Accessibility. Emojis and accessibility. Just such a good question, though. Like, I am really curious more about the deeper implications of standards and how that plays into emojis and like I know when I'm in my car and I get a text message and my car will read it to me it's like Don has sent you a message hey would you like me to bring in a taco today question mark taco smiley like I know Siri does that yeah for the taco the smiley but I don't know if that's actually built into screen readers that's interesting. Siri I, isn't technically a screen reader. It's like the simplest form of one. Mm-hmm. We had a rental car when we traveled to Asheville recently, and we're on this group text with some friends, and the name of the group, I, I guess you can do that. I've never actually created one. Someone created it for us. You can name the group in an iMessage. Anyway, they named it, they used that sparkle, like magic sparkle emoji. Yeah. And so it's like sparkle and then friends forever sparkle. And so the car, you know, we had like the navigation up or something and the car read it out loud and it was like sparkle, friends forever, sparkle sent you a message. (laughs) Oh, I love that. Yeah. It was really special. Which, and saying that just reminded me, and I feel like it's worth talking about, mm-hmm. about our obsession with pronunciations. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> this may be a tangent. <laughs> What's not a tangent here? Yes. <laughs> uh, it's a tentative tangent. It's a that tentative. That should be a new segment. <laughs> tentative tangents. And they take up like a 90% of the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The other 10% we talk about design. Yeah, so our office loves to watch – I mean, there's nothing to watch, but it's like a YouTube channel of pronunciations, and they're completely inaccurate pronunciations. Like Chipotle is Chatoodle. Sean Toodle. Sean Toodle, excuse me. (laughs) Our favorite (laughs) – Get the incorrect pronunciation right. (laughs) Our favorite is – 
Synechina Dota Chody, which is Synecdoche, which to this day, I've been saying that, I've been saying the non word word for months, and I still can't remember what Synecdoche means. What it means is. I know you're Googling. A figure of speech in which, a, yeah, I, I admit to Googling, I was <laughs> typing with purpose. A figure of speech in which a part is made to represent the whole or vice versa. Mm. As in Cleveland won by six runs, meaning Cleveland's baseball team. But we sort of just smush it into Cleveland in context. Gotcha. Hmm. So it's kind of when we do that, it's a noun. So mm-hmm. when we do that, it's a figure of speech to mm. represent the whole or vice versa. Fun, fun. That's a good one. It comes from two Greek words, sun and then ekdek hest high. Oh, that's just a crumb on my computer that made a lowercase l look like a lowercase i. So that's those words meant together and take up. So it's kind of like a good smush word. Mm-hmm. And according to the use, because I know Google tracks kind of the usage of words sort of thing, it's really picked up like in the 1970s, like almost double of what it was in the early 1900s. I'm always impressed with people who care about information like that. I'm not, I'm not trying to be mean at all. I'm just trying to say like, I'm trying to think of the value that that adds to my understanding of the word synecdoche is that it started becoming popular in the 1970s. Like, okay, I'm sure that that matters in some context, but it's just interesting to me. It could be because someone wrote a book and included the word and it was something that so many people hadn't seen before that Mm -hmm. means something that everyone does that they liked it. I love that we have gone from entomology to etymology. Like, look at us. (laughs) Yes. But nothing about design. (laughs) (laughs) It's tentatively about design. It's about a lot of other things. But I mean, this is the design of language, the design of bugs. Oh, that's interesting. I like that. I went to a, actually, an Austin Design Week event, which is coming up again soon, which is exciting. I went to an event last year called Designing Parenthood. And it was just that, just like talking about how we as parents can design our lives to accommodate the kind of like parent that we want to be. If it's like work-life balance, focus on that or figuring out how to become your own business owner, things like that. So I like that idea of designing your life. I'm hoping that there's some more awesome stuff like that this year. I guess you would probably know more. Are you on the panel? I'm on the advisory board for Austin Design Week, which happens November. I should know the dates by heart. November 5th, I think, until November 9th. I know the 9th is the last day. Yeah, so if you're listening and you live in Austin and you don't know about this, definitely go to austindesignweek.org. So different studios will host different events. I think every year is themed. Is that right? What's this year's theme? That is correct. This year's theme is open doors. So we kind of left that open to interpretation. This is something the advisory board worked on. It means a lot of different things. To some of us, it meant kind of breaking down the silos between different parts of design because this is not a UI or product design only week. This is architecture. This is graphic design. This is fashion design. It's every meaning of the word design. So to kind of really embrace that even further, some people are like, let's open doors between the different types of designs. For some of us, it was 
thinking about kind of immigration stuff and opening doors that way. For another group, it was about education and opening doors and making design more accessible for people who maybe are users of it, but aren't the makers of it and really involving them a lot more since the user is who we design for uh, or the person wearing the clothes or the person who lives in the house, all that sort of stuff. So leaving it open to interpretation, we had a big round of proposals and we just, uh, we're going through all of that right now. And just today we opened up the need for volunteers. We work with a lot of volunteers every year. So we're pretty excited about it. And it's really fun because there's different, like there's a different evening event that's sort of everyone come together, but the daytime events happen at so many different offices. So there's studio tours, there's classes. Last year, I was on a walking watercolor class. Like hmm. we just walked around the east side of Austin after learning just like basic watercoloring and to how to do it like a little bit quickly and then kind of clean up later. We did that on the east side and I just you know, found these gorgeous succulents and decided to to work on my green shading and, and shadow choices. That's awesome. Which I learned to use darker colors of the color that you're drawing hmm. or painting, yeah. rather. Yeah, that makes sense. I think I remember that from my freshman painting class in college. I did not do anything creative, but I did go, like I said, to that designing parenthood class. I also went USAA. They have a design-specific studio here in Austin, downtown, Mm -hmm. where basically they house all of their designers, I think from UX, UI to – I'm not sure if they do like branding and visual stuff there, but definitely a lot of focus on UX and UI. And so I did a a tour of their office and it was, I mean, they went all out. They had different stations and their different departments in the design part of the organization kind of did this presentation. It was wonderful. I learned that they actually have like dedicated teams that are made up of usually Mm -hmm. no more than like six people. And they have one just around sort of like the product design sprint idea and how they can use that throughout like their company. And I just thought it was great. I was surprised and not surprised at how progressive such a like what I assume is a kind of old school organization like USAA Yeah, I think that's something that uh, the chief design officer has talked about a lot on some other podcasts that I've been listening to and sort of her approach to really running this team and looking at that six person model and really getting people focused in. And yeah, there's a lot of things because of the space that they're in. There's, you know, regulatory needs and I mean, it's people and insurance and a lot of that sort of stuff. So just to hear the way that they approach design is is very interesting. In fact, we had someone from the CDO's team on Giant Robots, uh, I would say probably in May or June, Greg oh. Story, who is a director there. So that's a good one to listen to or they haven't. That's awesome. I didn't realize he was... specifically, Don. Oh. I meant... <laughs> no, you're right. I should. <laughs> so he's moved from IBM to USAA? Yes. Awesome. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. When I was kind of talking about the progressive changes that are happening in their design department, I was, of course, like thinking of IBM and how what they've done with IBM design has probably influenced a lot more of those like bigger corporations to compartmentalize their design a little bit better Mm -hmm. and focus on really like evolving that 
Yeah, but I think both of those places have done really well. And I think this about a lot of places in Austin, and I'm sure it's like this in a lot of other places too, but how much of the things that you and I just talked about really tie into business goals and not necessarily just design Mm -hmm. stuff that we want to do or like making things look pretty, which is a big misconception about designers. Yes, we do try to make things look as good as possible, but that is not the only goal. That's something that happens because we're trying to meet those goals. Anytime I see IBM or USA or even us sometimes in conversation, you know, on panels and things like that to talk more about the end goals and what does it mean for the business? Mm-hmm. Uh, it kind of reminds me of, um, I think it was Daniel Pink talked about this in a few books ago of his. It was like either Drive or the one before that. But it was just like design is sort of like the new business model. Like a lot can be learned from designers. And that's why it's important to have a CDO, for example, Yeah, like on the C-level. You're exactly right. I mean, I would say it's not just a part of what we do, especially at ThoughtBot. I would say it's our initial goal. We go in focused on understanding business goals and trying to like validate those for our customers before we get super tied up in details, like visual design details that add to a product, but don't necessarily solve a customer's problem or or need. And I think that those sorts of things come more along with our passion for quality. So we want to put out the best product that we can. And along with our like quality standards comes like the visual greatness, the accuracy with code and stuff like that. So I think it's important. I think it's important what we do. Mm -hmm. I was going to ask something and I forgot what it was, but it was probably food related anyway. Oh, well, I mean... (laughs) I feel like we've gone over our 10% quota on talking, talking about, about important things. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> so if we need to discuss our snack situation, then I'm happy to do that. of snacks. So we have designed a snack situation in our office. And by that, I mean we have appointed a chief snack designer. That's a new one. That's actually a new title. I think I just got a promotion. Yes, Sam, you just got a promotion. What Sam does is she designs our Instacart. (laughs) Not the product, not the actual product. The items that go into the cart. And then she presses purchase, or I don't know what the button is. (laughs) And then once the snacks arrive at our office, she designs a home for them. So she actually, I will say this is pretty accurate. You do design the refrigerator. Like when I do it, and I'm a designer. I just like throw stuff in there however it will fit and hope that it doesn't oh, fall I out. I have a grid system. <laughs> yeah. You're using CSS grid for our refrigerator and I'm using floats everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, if it fits, it ships. Yep. And I'm pretty sure that is a tagline for a company that ships stuff. A um, moving company. <laughs> I want to say it's FedEx or UPS, but I'm not sure. <laughs> But yeah, it's really important because A, I need to know, like I know how many yogurts certain people who host this show 
we'll have a week uh, based off of those orders. I know that we go through roughly four pounds of plantain chips <laughs> in 10 days. And I know how much kombucha we go through, which honestly takes the most space in the fridge. And last week I had designed each row to be a different flavor. I was very proud of and no one <laughs> noticed it. Nope. I, my- I had no idea. The latest thing I'm super excited about, which you followed so well this week, is I made a post-it note that says Topo out, Topo in, because we love Topo Chico, as it says on our website. And you followed it. You're the only one that followed it. You took a Topo out that was cold and you put one in that was warm so it could be cold for the next person. And that is how we can all help each other in life. Yeah, I mean, I may not be able to design a refrigerator snack system, but I can respect the work that you've done. And I do. I feel like I should document it. Like, you know, actually, maybe we should use the topo out, topo in rule for kombucha as well so that it doesn't take as much room up. I think it has to be refrigerated. Oh, just kidding. Well, don't ask me about food quality standards either. I mean, that is not my expertise. (laughs) I'll write a document. We'll add it to the ThoughtBot playbook. It'll be good. (laughs) Make sure it's public, please. I feel like this is a really great place to stop so that we can go and eat some more snacks because I think it's about that time. It is snack o'clock. You can find any show notes at tentative.fm slash 56. We're also on Twitter, of course, at tentative.fm. Sam is on Twitter. Sam is actually really good at Twitter. How can we find you on Twitter, Sam? (laughs) I am on there and I'm not good at it. I've just used it too much and I don't use it as much anymore except for posting really cute bunnies. But you can find those bunnies and videos of bunnies that I post on Sam Cap. Well, I guess on Twitter, at Sam Cap. I am at Dawn Dig, although I will say I'm not very good at Twitter. You can also email us with any questions about anything we talked about today at host at tentative FM. Yeah, and I think that's it. So I hope that y'all have a great weekend or day. I don't know when this comes out. But it also depends on when you're listening to it. Well, whatever, this is true. Wherever and whenever you are in the future, in the past, or your time traveling, we hope it's a good one. Yes. And full circle, <laughs> input type equals day. Let's always set that day to Friday, okay? <laughs> okay. <laughs> wait, no, wait. No, we got to talk about that now because you are right. We should be using date time. So date time should always be Friday, 5 p.m. Friday, 5 p.m. But yeah. type equals date time. I don't think you specify which date time. Yeah, yeah, you're right, you're right, you're right. Okay, well, we're just going to rewrite rules on all <laughs> of this. <laughs> okay, bye. Bye. This podcast was brought to you by ThoughtBot. We are experienced designers and developers who turn your idea into the right product. With local studios in Boston, San Francisco, New York, London, Austin, and Raleigh, let's build something great together.